I like Sundays. Sundays all across the world, Christians are gathering, um, not, not because of how we feel, not because of what mood we're in, but we gather on Sundays because Sunday is the day Jesus rose from the grave. And we, we worship him together in celebration of the new creation that he began when he rose from the grave and that he'll finish when he comes back and makes, makes, all, things, makes all things new. Some of us uh, come to church today very happy and, and, and some of us come uh, with burdens. And, and, and I'm one of those today that feels a little bit of both. Uh, I'm happy today uh, because I'm with you. And I think in 2011, I started, uh, I started praying for my, my, okay, so my brother lives in Waverly and my sister went to Wartburg. And so in 2011, I was visiting, uh, my sister at Wartburg, hanging out in the dorms and just thinking, man, these people need Jesus. And, 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 And praying that a church would start here thinking, maybe I should move to Waverly, you know. No one else seems to be doing it. And I thought, no, I need to live in Minneapolis. That's where I'm called. So, so by faith, I, I prayed and hoped that someone would come. And then my brother introduced me to Aaron. And uh, now every time I come here, it's like, yes, God answers prayers. God answers the prayers we pray that my kingdom come, or thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every time it's like, I think I came on Labor Day, and I was expecting about 10 people to be here, you know, because I get holiday weekends usually for Aaron, but, uh, you know, it's just like, wow, there's so many people here I don't, I don't know. This is amazing. This is an answer to prayer. Um, I'm burdened today because um, two weeks ago, I got a phone call uh, from my mom. I was at a basketball game, so I, I didn't pick up, and then I got another phone call, and I thought, oh, something bad happened, I think. I didn't answer because I was still still doing something. Then I got a call from my wife, and I said, so what's, what's the bad news? He says, your stepdad has a brain tumor. So uh, this week we found out that it's, uh, it's pretty much worst-case scenario. Um, uh, yeah, it's pretty much, pretty much uh, the, you know, the worst type of, brain tumor you can have so uh usually i just come here just me uh, we decided to make it make it a family trip so my wife and daughter are, are with me today and we, we went went down yesterday and and saw my mother and my stepfather and talking to my stepdad he he's so thankful that God is using him to tell people about Jesus in this season. I mean, there's sorrow there, but you can also just tell, like, he's telling me, like, I can't believe how many opportunities this is giving me to tell people about the Lord. He's telling his workers that work for him. He's telling his brothers who who don't know God. Other, just uh, loads of people. And so today, I want us to look at, at how do we share the gospel with joy before we realize we have however many months to live. How, how do we do that before it's, okay, hey, you better get going. 
How do we, how do we live a life that, that we share the gospel with joy? That that's just a normal part of our life? How do we share the gospel with confidence? And then why do we share the gospel and why, why do we plant churches? To do that, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. John is a fourth book of the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through, right after Luke, right before Acts. Uh, chapter 1, big number 1, verse 35, little number 35. Before we do that, though, let's, let's pray. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. God, we want to delight in your law today. We want to delight in your gospel. Show us your son, Jesus. We can worship him and find joy in him. In Jesus' name, amen. How do we share the gospel with, with joy? Today we're going to see uh, three examples, three people who, who, who talk about Jesus uh, with with joy in John. Verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Okay, so just a paragraph or two earlier, John had done this again. He said, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. And then again, he says, he sees Jesus again, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And what happens? Verse 37. John's two disciples that were with him left him, and they followed Jesus. John joyfully points to Jesus. I think this is, this is a marker uh, of do, do we love Jesus? Like, do we think people following Jesus is the best thing for them? Uh, my best friend uh, is a missionary. Maybe I've said this before. Uh, is a missionary in a, in a place that I can't talk about over, over speaker here. Um, but a place that's dangerous to be to be a missionary. And we never get to see him. Our best friends. And, and, and that's sad, but I think, man, if I could change that, if I could get him to, you know, move to Minneapolis, be my neighbor, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and people need to hear about that. John joyfully pointed his own disciples to Jesus because he knows Jesus is the Lamb. He knows Jesus is the Messiah of God, the suffering servant who came to take the sin of the world away. And look, look at this interaction uh, with Jesus in verse 38, 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. I really like John because John isn't written for people um, who, who uh, have, a, have a real good understanding of, 
of maybe Judaism. Uh, they're Greek speakers. And so anytime it says rabbi, an Aramaic word, it's going to translate it for Greek speakers. That, that word means teachers. You know, I like John because it's written for people like me. Rabbi, they say, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It was about 4 p.m. So they say, Jesus, or, or Rabbi, where are you staying? And what does Jesus respond? Jesus talks to these guys, and he doesn't just say, hey, I really need to talk to you guys, and I need to get you these 10 theological answers. Answers. Man, that's, that's not the worst reaction to a sermon I've ever had. Uh, uh, Jesus doesn't just talk with these guys and say, all right, I need to get you this, these four answers, these four laws, or I need to get you these ten theological answers, and then you can kind of know what I'm all about. No. He does something more than that. Jesus doesn't just hand him a book of answers and leave. Now listen, I'm, I'm not anti-answers, not at all. In fact, um, biblical illiteracy, so a, a very small understanding of the Bible is so common among Christians today. Like I have, I have so many friends who, who claim to be Christians as teenagers and now they, they've walked away and some of their arguments are just so poor that's like, man, if I'm going to raise an atheist, my daughter's two, if I'm going to raise an atheist, I want to raise an atheist who at least knows what she's talking about when she talks about the Bible. All right? We, we, we've done such a poor job um, teaching our children the faith and teaching them just the basic answers, um, just the basic understanding of the big story of the Bible, basic theology. We need to do a better job at that. But Jesus doesn't just give these guys, all right, here's, here's your, your catechism. Now, what does he say? He says, come and you'll see. And so they stayed with him. Jesus didn't just come to give theological answers. Jesus came to invite people into himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God said to himself, let's create man in our own image. Our, what's that about? Plural. As Christians, we know that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. How does all that make sense? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. That's one of those mysteries of the faith. But we know that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that God is love. And so we know that, that love has existed for all eternity. Love is not something that was created at creation, but God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has been loving himself for all eternity. We know that we're created for community because we're created in the image of God and God is in himself community. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in perfect communal harmony, in perfect love for all eternity. And he created people to be wrapped up into that love. He didn't create people because, oh, I'm really lonely. I really, I really need, you know, someone to love. No, he created, he created people for the same reason why most of us have kids. Not because we're, we're lonely. It's because, man, I love this person. I love my wife. Let's create more love out of that. Love creates love, and that's, that's how it's been for, for all eternity. God created us to know him and to be wrapped up in, into his love, but we sinned. We fell away. And so God the Father sent God the Son to say, come and see. Come stay at my house. Come, come dwell among me. And so they came where he was staying, and they stayed there the whole day. Verse 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, it says, the first thing he did was found his own brother. I, I use uh, D.A. Carson as, as I'm teaching through John. And so just, just to be clear, um, I, I'm teaching people in my neighborhood. We have over Bible studies, and we go through John. And so I'm teaching John you know, at, least, uh, at least twice a week, every week. So uh, as, I, as I study for that, I'm using a great commentary from a guy named D.A. Carson. Um, you know, great guy. Check him out. Google it. Okay. So anyway, I'll quote him a number of times today. But look what D.A. Carson says about Andrew. He says, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother and announce, we have found the Messiah. He thus became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of a friend to friend, brother to brother. Andrew joyfully tells his brother about Jesus. We think, yes, let's start a church and, you know, we can get a pastor and they can talk about Jesus to our friends. But listen, uh, the scripture teaches in Ephesians that, that pastors serve as equippers for people. The best person to reach your brother is you. And Andrew did this joyfully. Why did he do this joyfully? Verse 41 says it. We have found the Messiah. See, John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Jesus because he says, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew joyfully pointed his brother to Jesus because he says, this is the Messiah. I've stayed with him. I know him. It's incredible. What do we do with the best things in life? We tell other people about it. You know, I, I, I can't watch a new TV show without talking to everyone I know about. Wow, this is a great show. You guys have got to watch this show. 
we talk about the things we love. And Andrew loved Jesus. Look at verse 42. Look at how Jesus talks to Peter. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Really, his name is Simon at the time. Uh, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Jesus saw Peter, but Jesus saw Simon. That's confusing, huh? Jesus saw Simon, and he says, yeah, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. You're going to be my rock. You're going to be the rock on this team of disciples. Jesus saw this guy, and he knew all of Simon's past sins. He knew all of the doubt in his heart as Simon first met Jesus. And he even knew all of Simon's future sins. Simon's future sins. If you know some things about the Bible, you know those were big sins. When Jesus uh, was being crucified, Simon denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. He denied him. He said, I don't even know this guy. That's your rock, Jesus? Even after Jesus rose from the grave and, and, and Simon Peter received the Holy Spirit, even after that, this guy was, I mean, Catholics think he's the Pope when he did this next thing. He, he's eating dinner with Gentiles. You know, he's eating some bacon or whatever. And then these guys come into town who say, no, we got to keep the Jewish law. We've got it. We, we can't associate with Gentiles. To eat with someone in the first century was to be like, this, we're equal. I'm equal with this guy. So he knew that these guys who taught this were coming into town. And so he ignores the Gentile brothers. I mean, this is like he's in a cafeteria in the 1960s realizing, wow, black and white people are created equal. They're eating lunch at the same table. Well, then they realize that, well, my friends from the clan are coming over, so I'm totally going to ghost these guys. I'm not, I'm not going to interact with them anymore. And he totally sells out half the church. Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus. Peter denied his brothers. He was a leader in the church who rejected Gentile Christians, like most or all of us here. And Jesus calls him rock. D.A. Carson says again, Jesus knows people thoroughly. Not only does he see into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Or as Hebrews 10, 14 says, that God has perfected for, for, by one sacrifice, Jesus' death, God has perfected for all time those who are now being made holy. Or as, as, a, as Romans 8 says, 8, 29 and 30, for those whom God foreknew he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first, firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus knew all of Peter's past, present, and future sins, and yet he still called him to himself. Not only did Jesus say, hey, come to me. He says, no, no, no. You're the rock now. You're the rock. I am going to work a miracle in you, cowardly, arrogant Simon. I'm going to make you my rock. Jesus doesn't wait till we're something to call us something. Jesus doesn't wait till we're perfected to call us perfect in him. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Just just remember that. As we keep reading right now, remember uh, that Philip says, follow me. Verse 44. Now Philip, or that, I'm sorry. Remember that Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Remember that. That's important. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip goes to Nathanael and he's overjoyed. Why? Because he says, You know, you know Genesis through Malachi? You, you know the, the scriptures, the, the Old Testament? I found the one who, who all of those pointed to. I found the one, I found the Messiah, the fulfillment of our scriptures. Jesus doesn't go, there's a lot of names in this passage, forgive me. Philip doesn't go to Nathaniel and be like, all right, I really need to tell Nathaniel about Jesus. Okay, 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 I really need to tell him. No, he doesn't have to do that because he sees how amazing this is. He sees how amazing what God has done is that God had for thousands of years planned and promised a Messiah, and now the Messiah is here. Philip found the best thing in the world. Of course he tells Nathaniel about it. What does Nathaniel say? Nathaniel said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel's a punk, man. Nathaniel's from Edina. You guys don't know Edina. Edina's a southern suburb. And if you've seen Mighty Ducks, the rich kid in it is from Edina, and they call him a cake eater. You know, they don't trust him because he's the rich kid. So, ah, this wasn't in my notes. I shouldn't be talking bad about Edina. But, you know, you know Phil, Nathaniel's one of those guys, and he's like, he points in my neighborhood and he says, North Minneapolis? Can anything good come out of North Minneapolis? Jesus was from a place that people did not like to identify with. What in the world? That place? Full of those people? Hope Jesus doesn't get shot, you know? Nathaniel looked down on where Jesus is from, but what does Philip say? Philip doesn't say, no, trust me, he's a really good guy. He's got a security system in his house, you know. No. Philip says, come and see. Come and see. 
Remember that. So how do we share the gospel with joy? Well, how do they share the gospel with joy? They spend time with Jesus. That they realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So they knew their scriptures. And they saw Jesus for who he is. Remember, John the Baptist saw Jesus for who he is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your problem in evangelism is not a courage problem. You're not lacking courage. You're lacking belief. You're lacking love. When we fail to tell people about Jesus, it's not, it's not because we don't have enough courage. It's because we don't, we don't, we don't know Jesus like, like we should. We don't believe God's promises in Jesus like we should. Jesus came to take away my sin and the sin of the world. Jesus came to be the King, the Messiah that God promised back in Genesis 3. Jesus came to wrap me into the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's good news. When we know who Jesus is and what God's plan in him is, we'll share the gospel with joy. Now, how do we share the gospel with confidence? Um, let's look at this reaction uh, uh, or this, this conversation between Nathaniel and Jesus, verses 47 through 49. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. How does Nathaniel go from being like, I don't want to interact with this guy from this place, to, wow, you, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because he saw him under a tree? This passage seems silly to us if, if, we, if we don't under, understand some of the context. Quoting D.A. Carson again. In the Old Testament, the fig tree is sometimes used uh, as a symbol for home. Occasionally, in rabbinic literature, so in some of the writings of the time, the fig tree's shade is associated with a place for meditation and prayer. So was Nathaniel at home when Jesus said he saw him there? Was Nathaniel praying and meditating uh, on the scriptures when Jesus says he saw him? That, that's not really the point. D.A. Carson says, but John's chief point, his main point here, is Jesus' supernatural knowledge. It's not Nathaniel's activity. It's Jesus' supernatural knowledge. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you at home. Or, I saw you when you were praying. That's what wins Nathaniel over. The point of this interaction is not what Nathaniel is doing. The point is that Jesus is the God who saw Nathaniel under the fig tree when no one else was there. Today, in this passage, we've seen John pointing people to Jesus, and they followed. We, we saw Andrew uh, point his brother Peter to Jesus, and Peter followed. We saw Philip point Nathaniel to Jesus and say, just come and see. And Nathaniel came and saw. 
They did these things joyfully, and we can do them joyfully too. We can share the gospel. We can point people to Jesus joyfully, but we can also do so confidently. Why? Because Jesus is the God who sees Nathaniel under the fig tree. We are confident in our work of pointing people to Jesus because we know it is really God who does the work. This is like the sixth sense or like a movie, you know, that, that has this, you think something's happening through the whole thing. That's a movie's 20 years old. Wow. Uh, super relevant preaching. Okay. You watch the movie and then there's this twist at the end and then you look back and you see everything different. This is what that passage does to me. It's like, all right, yeah, it was John who pointed his disciples to Jesus. It was Andrew who pointed his brother to Jesus. It's Philip who said, come and see to Jesus. To Nathaniel, come and see Jesus. And then we see that Jesus is the God who sees people under the fig tree. And the mystery is unfolded. Jesus sought the two disciples. Jesus found Peter. Jesus called Nathaniel to come and see. It's Jesus who seeks, Jesus who finds, and Jesus who transforms people. We can confidently share the gospel with people because we know it's not on our shoulders. I, I was taught a terrible thing growing up, and that's that. What, what's what's going to happen to the guy on the island who doesn't hear? Well, if he doesn't hear, you know, God will just judge him based on what he knows, you know. Okay, so let me get this straight. If I've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus, that guy probably has a better chance knowing Jesus or, or at least being saved in the end if I don't tell him because I'm really bad at telling people about Jesus. I'm not very good and given a little sales pitch for the kingdom. That's terrible theology. There's nothing like that in the Bible. If the guy in the island's going to be saved, why in the world would we go to him? We could just mess that up. Instead, we see today that we get the joyful responsibility of telling other people about Jesus. When I share the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world, when I share that gospel with my friends, with my neighbors, I'm not doing that because I think I've got some uh, special ability to save these people. I'm doing that because that's the best news in the world. I love talking about it. I love talking about Jesus. And I love my friends, so why would I want to tell my friends, my neighbors, about the best news in the world? But my words are weak. What brings them life is the Spirit. When my weak words are used to change a person's eternity, it's not because of me. It's because Jesus is the one who calls. Jesus is the one who sees under the fig tree. Be confident when you share the gospel because God is working through you. 
those whom God has predestined will, will be called, will be justified. Now, why plant churches? Why share the gospel together? That's what Riverwood was four years ago, four and a half. Let's, hey, let's, Aaron, Leanne, find a few people. Let's do this together. Let's share the gospel together. Let's reach people in Waverly together. That's all, that's all planting churches is and setting up stuff too. But why do this together? Well, verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of God is the epicenter of all creation. Jesus is the central point in the universe. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He's the one who the world is going to change through. We share the gospel. We plant churches in Waverly and North Minneapolis because Jesus is going to ultimately recreate everything. He's going to there's not going to be a hint of sadness, a hint of mourning, a hint of crying anymore. He's going to make all things new someday. Let me uh, look at this passage from Revelation 21. This will be your vision for sharing the gospel for planting churches here in Waverly. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Someday, God's going to make everything new. He's going to destroy every bit of sin and evil. And he's going to bring his life and his goodness. So one day, early this week, I'm feeling discouraged about planting in my neighborhood. It happens from time to time, planting. Aaron, I don't know if you know that. And I'm thinking, in my mind... that reality God's future intent came to mind it's like man God you're gonna this is gonna be your neighborhood this this is gonna be renewed perfectly this will be your perfect temple someday this block I'm on why not start now we plant churches we share the gospel together because there's nothing that God will not call his. God will come back. He will dwell with us on this earth. Somehow, Waverly and North Minneapolis are going to fit into that. Somehow, God is going to take his creation away from sin. He's going to say, you can't have that anymore. 
You, you can't hurt my creation anymore. You can't hurt my people anymore. He's going to bring new life. Paul says, we're the first hint of new creation. Riverwood Church, the first hint of new creation in Waverly. And so you say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave and changed my life. And then we see people believe because God calls people to himself. And then they join new creation. And we together point people to Jesus in our neighborhoods. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son for giving us joy where there was sorrow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.